0: I pray that these words that I am going to deliver, that we prepare so much care and love for all of you and for our denomination, be received in this spirit of love and compassion. The Unitarian Universalist Movement has a long and rich tradition of leadership and action for social justice we can be proud of the bold steps our denomination has taken to bring to light within our association, as well as in the public arena, the humanizing scourges of society, such as racism, sexism, and homophobia. However, we still face a major challenge, that of eliminating the classism that has kept and continues to this day keeping us from fulfilling our vision of becoming a multicultural movement. I have felt many times that classism continues making a mockery of our many proclamations that we Unitarian Universalists affirm and promote, particularly inside our congregations, the inherent worth and dignity of every person. And I ask myself, if it was not so, why with such a liberating and salvific message as ours, aren't our places of worship and our halls of chatting bursting to the limits every Sunday? The definition of classism is simple. Classism is the prejudice and or discrimination against people because of their real or perceived social or economic status. But if the definition is simple, the topic is, itself is extensive, confusing, and complex. Yet, we cannot ignore it any longer because classism is very hurtful to his victims, both those who are oppressed and those who inflict the oppression. As recently as the year 2000, the situation in our denomination was such that John Burens, our then president, suggested that the General Assembly would do well holding over for another year that year's statement of conscience titled, Economic Injustice, Poverty, and Racism. Mm -hmm. He based his advice on the fact that visiting our congregations did not give him much evidence that we had found even the words to talk about class. The first time I'd heard about class among Unitarian Universalist circles was during a week-long colloquium of Unitarian Universalist scholar ministers led by the Reverend Lynn Strauss in 1998. A few years later, at the General Assembly, I attended the dialogue on classism within Unitarian Universalism, led again by the Reverend Lynn Strauss. Since then, two articles have appeared in the world I know of, one written by the Reverend Mark Harris, the minister in Watertown, and author of the recently and very much recommended to all of you book published and called Elite and covering classism in Unitarian Universalist history. Reading this book totally confirmed my suspicion that we don't grow as fast and wide as we could because classism has had a firm grip, particularly among Unitarians, since the beginning of this religion in America. Harris writes, in his book, The Crisis of the Standing Order, Peter Field says that the elitism and exclusivity curbed the spread of Unitarianism. It is not difficult to see why this was so from the following anecdote in Harris's book. In 1846, a letter was sent to the Christian Register about a person who tried to visit the church of a renowned Unitarian minister. The visitor stood outside for a time and finally asked if there was any provisions for strangers. The person he asked said, we are rather exclusive here, and then went into the church without offering any assistance. Let us fast forward 156 years. When I was living on Long Island, a friend of mine called me One day, seeking advice on what to do with this Colombian family, which wanted to attend our church, but what she, my friend, thought was not of the right social class for us. Who is going to talk to them at the social hour? Would you like to protect them by suggesting, perhaps, that they attend a less ritzy and white church than ours? She asked. Ironically, the Colombian man, had been impressed by the character and spirituality of this woman whose house he just has painted. All that exclusivity and its novism had their roots in, their, in what Fields, cited by Harris again, wrote. The liberal ministers of Greater Boston purposely moved from pietism and transformed religious expression into a secular high culture. I knew by my studies that most of the early Unitarians were wealthy and blue blood. and called, They were called the Brannins. But I was not prepared to learn about the terrible toll that the unbridled race for wealth and prestige took on the souls of many of them, and particularly the ministers. Thus, Joseph Stevens Buckminster, bon minister of the Brattle Street Church right around here, preached that the Savior did not require people to throw their wealth into the sea or to inflict upon themselves unnatural austerities, and that nothing indicated that we should refuse the riches, honors, and pleasures of this world. All of this he did to please those in the high social places. Most shocking to me was to learn of widespread Unitarian theological classism. According to Harris, Most Unitarian clergy saw religion as a superstitious, authoritarian, foreign faith practiced by poor and washed immigrants, whose poverty was directly related to their lack of frugal, disciplined, and individualistic Protestant worth ethic. The Unitarians established several cultural institutions, but often kept them private. The most important of those was, guess what? Harvard, whose overwhelming majority of donors were Unitarians, as also were its 80% of the faculty. Having purposely moved from pietism and having transformed religious expression into a secular high culture, where science had the last word, Unitarians, it seems to me, opened the door to dangerous experiments. According to Harris, not happy with the pantheism and innate human divinity in transcendentalism, Harvard's most famous scientist, Lois Agassiz, believed in a developmental theory of nature which produced a social hierarchy that supported racial supremacy. He followed a non-scriptural, deistic system which conformed to the framework of the institution's elite sponsors, he was against programs to uplift the poor and blacks whom science proclaimed inferior. The elitism reached such ridiculous separatist levels that Charles Chauncey, the minister of the First Church in Boston, of Boston, depicted heaven as a glorified Harvard graduate school for the majority of the Unitarians. Moving forward to last century, James Luther Adams, our beloved theologian, note, the religion of the successful amounts to a systematic concealment of and separation from reality, a hiding of the the plight of those who in one sense or another live across the tracks. You see, one of the spiritual dangers of ignoring or not seeing the need for a spiritual and emotional connection or for education of those living across the tracks is that it robs all, us all of our humanity. Likewise, being rich in material things, but deprived of contact with the culture of the poor or with any other culture different than ours, either by prejudice or by disinterest, in turn contributes to make one poor in a spirit and stunted in the higher learning of living. Have we consider what happens to the poor and the person who has internalized all the bad stereotypes attributed to a lower social class? Typically, when they succeed and find themselves in the company of those better off, they suffer in secrecy, shame, anger, helplessness, sadness, and the like. I was so surprised at the workshop on classism that I just mentioned earlier, hearing two of the panelists, dear colleagues of mine, saying that they always felt like impostor ministers because they did not attend Harvard and because they were raised on a farm. They illustrated for the audience how trying to overcome their feelings of inferiority, being on your guard and acting like you belong, Takes enormous energy and interferes, obviously, with your joy of living. And I dare to say that that sizzling inside, that um, burning with anger, with feeling helpless, with feeling inferior, always being told that because you are poor, you don't deserve this or that, that can promote a lot of violence, and we never know when a person is not strong enough that doesn't snap and do something horrible, like all the things that happen with the guns and other arms. Just think how many people, searching for a place of comfort where they can be themselves, had passed through the doors of our congregations and fellowships, only to feel excluded and ignored because somehow neither us nor they felt Where a social education wise, social or education wise good fit? Classism seems to me is increasingly becoming more evident in our country. Katrina, still edged in our minds, showed us the differential treatment we accord to the poor and to the ones which we label low social class. All through this election, I don't have to tell you. We saw and heard much about the 99% versus the 1%, the 47%, and the demeaning and dismissive levels applied to the people who voted for Obama. And it risking falling, of the famous, falling off the famous economic cliff, despite serious damage to the country, because some want to protect the top 2% is not a show of classism, then what is? Whenever there is an economic crisis, there is renewed distrust and fear of the poor. Our government is spending billions erecting walls of shame between neighbors, and politicians continue demonizing the poor immigrants and those in need of government assistance. Conclusion. Unitarian Universalists wanting to dismantle classism face the double challenge of deep-seated classism in our denomination and in our nation. It is not going to be easy even to start. But remember, Unitarian Universalism is not for the faint of heart. We need to start somehow, here, right across the street, from the most notable symbol of the class and prestige. John Muir, one of our ministers, offers us some suggestions based on the concepts of liberation theology. He says, An understanding of poverty results from solidarity with those from below when we become as the poor in three ways. First, by helping others indirectly, but in critical ways, such as supporting community organizations like the Salvation Army and food banks, or by fundraising for homeless shelters. Second, in a more direct by, by working in a shelter, volunteering in a soup kitchen here, here, or assisting others directly. And third, an ultimate and most enlightening, living among the poor. How many of you have lived among the poor voluntarily because you want to be partners with them? However, there are important questions that we should ask of ourselves before we attempt to help the poor and those oppressed by classism. Questions like, for example, do we really want to embrace those considered of a lesser class and the poor, or is what we want to improve them, giving them a taste of what the real good life ours is? Do we relate to the needy from a place of pity, like saying to ourselves, I'm so glad I am not like you, poor little thing, or from a place of empathy, better yet from a place of true compassion that understands what it means to be a human victim of oppression? I want to challenge all of you, including those who feel shy or fearful about approaching other cultures and social classes, to start dismantling dismantling classism with small but significant gestures, using the ways that Muir suggested. Do you know what is the best and cheapest way to do it here? Somebody? Exactly. Tuesday Meals. Come and share a meal with our Tuesday Meals guests. And I am not inviting you to serve them or to help cut the celery and the onions and all of that. That is good. I am inviting you to come and sit with them and share the meal. It's a big difference. I have done both, and I am telling you, it's a transforming experience. I confess, it was not easy. It was not the easiest thing for me the first time I did, because I am shy. But before I went for the first time, I thought, what am I going to say to them? What if I don't understand what they say to me? But you see, I survive, and you will too. The Reverend Small just invited us to help them at the Christmas time. They're going to have a big celebration, and you could be guests there too. Go and sit with them. It's a celebration, and feel how it feels to be with them. To, to be with a human being that formerly we judge and say, well, no class, you know, they are poor. God knows why they are poor. Maybe they deserve to be poor. They are alcoholics or mentally or whatever. But many of them, some of them are Unitarian Universalists that have fallen out of grace for some reason. You know, you never know when you are going to lose all your wealth and you end up in a sub kitchen So it's a very humanizing experience. Also, go and explore more of Chelsea. Is Boston, visit the ethnic restaurants as a culinary adventure, of course, but why not stretch yourself and make it a spiritual adventure? Talk to the owners, talk to your waitress with human interest, with empathy, and then I say, with compassion. Ask them, you know, what about your life? Without being intrusive, of course, but with curiosity, where are you from? Where are, you know, where are the foods in your country? Do some socialing with them and you will see Socializing with them, and you will see how you, you get far. Talk to the gardeners that keep your lawns and gardens so beautiful. Talk to the people that clean your homes and offices. Do You, do, you don't know the language that they have? Then chances are they can communicate even if it's in broken English. And what is keeping you, may I ask, from learning another language, thus opening the horizons of your mind and spirit. Not that difficult, you know, a few words. If I have a dollar for every time somebody had told me, oh, I started learning Spanish, oh, I want to learn Spanish, oh, I want to know, I will be a millionaire. We need consistency, starting with me. I am hopeful that here at First Parish, we will be able to reclaim the core of our faith, that tells us that we are all one, wonderfully emanating from the mysterious sacred source, and thus each imprinted with inherent worth and dignity. May we, as this aspiring beloved community that we are, be able to align our good intentions and commitments with our profound and life-enhancing mission, calling, mission calling us to foster spiritual curiosity and faith formation, to share joy, to heal brokenness, and to celebrate the sacred in all. Let it be, and amen.